always feel like there are two things going on on Time Change Sunday, and we kind of got to figure out which one it is. One is like we're just thank, th thankful to be alive and be here, and you all did it, and it's good. You set your time uh, right, and your, your phone did it right for you, uh, and, and you're just glad to be here, but that's about it, right? That's how I feel. If I'm honest, if I'm doing a gut check, that's kind of how I feel on Time Change Sunday. I have to like... It's my go-to day, Sunday, and I have to get it all that right, and I did, so yay, you know? Um, but then there's also an element of any time we sort of have to do just a little bit more, it's not quite as easy, I feel like God gets in there, and I feel like that dynamic's always going on on Time Change Sunday, too, and I'm going to lean into that. Uh, as the scripture says, suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. So we're going to get to hope today. And I hope at the end of the time that you're glad that you were here as we tell the story of the gospel, as we enter into uh, about halfway through Lent and this season uh, and the work that comes with it. And as we tell the story of the cross and uh, ultimately the empty tomb re resurrection, uh, it is a story in which we have to incorporate a lot of stuff uh, in, into what God's doing in us. And we're all doing this. So this week, I sort of like... Uh, Fell, I probably should start here because most of you who know me, uh, most conversations have started. Are those new? And the answer is yes, they are new. So I have, I have glasses now. Ta-da! And, um, and, and there's a little bit of story behind that. It kind of gets us into the sermon this morning because um, I kind of have, through my life, taken pride in the fact that I didn't need glasses. And you know what pride kind of does to you, right? It sets you up, right? Pride goes before the fall, so according to Scripture. And, and then added to that, when I turned 40, I walked into the um, eye doctor's office, and apparently they're trained to do this. When you turn 40, they, they're all dressed in black that day. <laughs> and they say, oh, we see here on your chart that you're 40. And then these words, it's just a matter of time. Well, I took that as a personal challenge when I turned 40, like, ha-ha. And they, I did the little eye exam, and I worked so hard to get those lips. They're a little fuzzy at the bottom, but I did it. Oh, your eyes are great. Oh, thank you. Ha-ha. So I am 40, but my eyes aren't so bad, huh? 41, same thing. For, you know, like, I don't think I went every year. But it progressed along, and I'm so proud of myself. 46, ee, the record stops. I walk in, and they're like, you need glasses. Uh, and, and, and then uh, th this phrase, and, and they're technically not bifocals. What does that mean, right? And they tried to explain that to me. I didn't really care because, uh, you know, I was, I, I was going to go with it. Yeah, technically they're not bifocals. Does that mean they don't have a line here? Uh, I do know that when I walk on the steps, like I have to kind of do this number, anybody who's had. So they're not technically bifocals, but they've got two things going on in the lens. And so I went home and I said, hey, Jen, I'm getting glasses, but they're not technically bifocals. And she says, explain that to me. And I said, I can't. <laughs> but I'm going with it. One thing I love, too, is when you talk to people who have glasses or people who are getting along in, in years, there's like, yeah, yep, 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 yep. There's like a solid, like you've joined the club, right? Or you're, you're, there's something in it. So, I, 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 so truthfully, I was trying to reflect this week, like why that was like, what was that stirring up in me? It's just a pair of glasses, right? And uh, I texted a friend of mine, I showed him the picture, said, look what happened. And he texts back and said, are they bifocals? And I said, not technically. And then he texted back, tell me you're getting old without telling me you're getting old. Ah, there, there it is. There it is, right? 
And uh, what I realized was I was trying to incorporate my kind of view of life, which is like, I don't need glasses. In fact, I don't need anything. I don't need anyone. And I'm young and everything's great. And then, you know, like there are just things that kind of call that into question. And then you have to you have to come to terms with that. And this is a silly example to, to kind of point out to something that we're all doing all the time is trying to come to terms in life and bring it all together into a cohesive whole that lets us move forward. And that moving forward part is important. Like we have to assimilate our lives so that we find meaning and purpose. How does it all hold together? Does it hold all all together so that we can take the next step forward in life? Put one foot in front of the other, even when it's, uh, and maybe especially when it's not easy. And a pair of glasses is a silly example of how that is happening in us all of the time. And it's sometimes more than others. And um, so we are in the season of Lent, which is about that kind of work. And what I love about the, the flow of the church year is that we create space that is safe for us to come to terms with things, to let God undo some things. Maybe it's our understanding of our youthfulness and how we're going to live forever, and then we have to come to terms with the fact that we're not. And just tell me you're old without telling me you're getting old. That's, that is something we're all doing. And, you know, I watch people do this uh, in, our, in our life together all the way through, through age and then through disease and then through the end of life and then in death and then incorporating the losses of, of those who have gone on. That 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 coming to terms with our lives is, is just an ongoing work. And it is spiritual work. So we, in Lent, create space for that. Uh, we, we, we need to kind of see what holds together. Before we jump to the resurrection, we talk about crosses and we talk about losses. And it can seem depressing, but it also uh, allows us to put, put our lives back together and um, put, find a story that ultimately gets us to hope. And that that hope is, is real. It's earned as we trust that God is helping us put our lives back together. Uh, and there's the word for that. Uh, the, the word that we uh, come to at the end of Romans 5 is the word reconciliation. And uh, in fact, Romans 5 is a pretty complicated and dense and wonderful passage. We probably could do a whole sermon series on Romans 5. Uh, and on Time Change Sunday, you know, to get into all of it, maybe not a good idea. Uh, but I want to give us that word for a second and help us um, understand what I think that means and then let it kind of tell the rest of the story for the scripture and for us. The word that we get to in Romans 5.11 about reconciliation. And um, before we read the scripture, that, that first part again, I'm going to suggest that that is the key to understanding the, the whole thing, the, God's work in Christ in us. Uh, what we're trying to do, uh, in some way or another, all of us, is to kind of find this thing that holds together. And um, it happens inside of us. It happens in our relationships. It happens in our relationship with God. How does that, how does that hold together? And uh, reconcil- reconciliation is the word. It's technically an accounting word, if you think about it. Any, any accountants, any, anybody do, do this? So, so I, I'm not an expert at, at, at this, Mike, but... Um, let me, I do know that I have to do the, the visa reconcili- reconciliation every, every month. Our, our credit cards, we, do, we have processes, and we have to make sure all of the, the accounts line up. 
And uh, that's what, uh, uh, what, what reconciliation technically is in accounting. It's about looking at two accounts and then working out the discrepancies between the two. Those two ledgers have to line up. And that's what we're doing in life. We're, we're, like, we're dealing with our realities and trying to figure out where it doesn't line up and then how does it line up. And that might happen inside of us as we deal with our past and our present and our future. It might deal with our relationships and ultimately our relationship with God. And that's what Paul writes to explain the work of Christ to the church in Romans. He explains what happened through Christ. It's reconciliation, Romans 5.11. Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. And what I think that means is kind of the whole thing, like how it all holds together in every way, internally, in our relationships, in our relationship with God. As we think about how to take the next step forward, does life have meaning? Does life have purpose? And can we move forward with hope? And Paul is saying, yeah, that's what what Jesus has done for us. That the work of Christ is reconciling work. In fact, he's taken the parts that don't seem to fit, like, How do we assimilate that into our our story? He's saying, yeah, that actually fits into the story, and it is still a story of redemption, that Jesus has made this exchange for us and has lined up the accounts in every way. And so sometimes we say this at communion. We're going to share in Holy Communion today. Sometimes we say this, he who was whole became broken so that we who are broken could be made whole. Sometimes we say, he who was full became empty so that we who are empty could be made full. This is, in fact, a story of of human brokenness and human emptiness. Human powerlessness is one of the words that Romans uses. And human sinfulness, all of it is is incorporated into a story that leads to human wholeness human fullness, and that that is the work of Jesus. That's the gift of God. That's the gift of grace. And it is in this grace, Romans 5 says, that we now stand. Wow. Paul says it this way, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the divine exchange. This is Christ entering history and giving our our lives and the story, meaning and purpose. That all of us are able to somehow incorporate the parts that don't seem to fit into a story of God's redemptive work in the world. That's the story of Jesus, and it is now our story too. And so as we think about the season of Lent, and we think about what is just kind of to hear that message at any point, each one of us, I think, has, has a, a point of engagement. We all have parts of our lives that just aren't reconciled. We have relationships that aren't reconciled. We have losses that we haven't figured out how to incorporate. And as you walk in this morning, what I can guarantee is that at some level, all of us is, each one of us is doing this work. Some of us more intently, more intensely than others. Some of us kind of, as Martha said, kind of not wondering if we believe, not, not only if we believe and or if, if, if today's the day that we wake up and, and um, it somehow doesn't hold together that God's grace has come to its limit. All of us is doing this, are doing this work. 
And so Romans 5 talks about boasting in God's goodness in the midst of all of it. And, and this, is a, this is kind of a wild thing to say. Uh, in fact, the word boast is used three times in the passage. And it literally means to hold our heads up high. So like what I told myself as I was doing the whole glasses thing, I went to Kroger last night and, and knowing what I was going to preach, I said, I'm going to hold my head up high. I'm going to walk in there uh, with my glasses on. That's what Paul says. We hold up our head up high in the hope of the glory of God, not only so, but in the exact same way, we hold our head up high in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. What I think Paul means is that this is a story in which the, the parts that don't seem to fit get brought along through the work of God in each of our lives in a way that ultimately leads to hope every single time. That in the ultimate sense, that this is a story about hope no matter what we're trying to reconcile. He's pressing toward the process of reconciliation leading to hope in real people's lives with real obstacles, with parts that don't seem to fit. And that is our story. It's not just a, a, a thing that happens. It is the story of God. This is, this is what always happens. This is what ultimately happens. And to do that, uh, to, to really explain that, Paul uh, tells another story. In fact, Romans 5 is, the context of, of that is Romans 4. And Romans 4 is about the story of Abraham in the Old Testament. And so let's kind of take what we've said so far and look back now and see what the context is. The story of Abraham in Romans 4 is the story of this guy who kind of didn't know God. We don't actually know a ton about Abraham, but he fits in the category of while we were still on the kind of outside with God, God acted. Uh, what, what Paul describes, while we were still powerless, God has already got a, got a plan. So we know that Abraham is a couple things. We know that he's old. And we know that he doesn't have a, a son. He doesn't have an heir. And um, so God c comes to Abraham and says, hey, here's the deal. He kind of blows him out of the water. I'm going to make you a great nation. And, and I'm going to bless you. And then I'm going to bless the whole world through you. Uh, and, and, and your descendants are going to be numerous. And Abraham's like, well, here's the deal. I've already reconciled myself to that. He doesn't say that, but that's, that's the idea. I've already come to terms with that. I don't have a son, and so what? My, I've, I've already got a plan. Do you ever do this? Like, I have a plan. God, here, here it is. It's, it's, I've already worked this out myself. Abraham has a plan, and that plan is to take one of his servants and have him be his heir, and then, you know, pass on the legacy through him. So Abraham says, thank you, God. I'm good. I don't really need a lot of help. I think what's key to this story and understanding is partly is that God says, yeah, I'm going to undo your plan. And how many of us appreciate it when God undoes our plan? It feels painful, doesn't it? So back to Lent. That's part of what we're doing is letting God undo some things so they can put it back together better. Because what we try to do is reconcile things ourselves and it doesn't work. It doesn't, it doesn't hold together. And a good portion of the stress that we feel is life not holding together according to our plan. And so, uh, so God says, yes, Abraham, uh, that's sweet, precious. That's great. I'm glad you've got a plan. We're going to undo that. And I'm going to give you a different one and a better one. And it's going to take into account that you're old. It's going to take into account that you don't have, uh, that you've been struggling with infertility your entire life, you and, you and your wife. 
and we're going to incorporate that into a story in which not only you're going to be blessed, but the whole world is going to be blessed through you. And you're going to have a son. And he takes Abraham outside to give him a vision of this and says, look at the stars. That's how many descendants you're going to have. And then in Genesis 15, 6, it says this, and Abraham believed, and it was credited to him as righteousness. We sang that this morning, didn't we? Asking for God to help us to have faith and to believe. And, 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 and that's because it matters somehow. It, like the, the thing that we bring to the story is that God has acted and God has a plan and God can hold it together. And the thing that we do is trust that. We believe that even when and especially when it seems like it can't come together, that there's no way that this can happen. There's no way that the story of Abraham leads to the blessing of all the people of the world through him. And God says, yeah, now let's get started because that's exactly what I'm going to do. That, that, that new thing that has to then be reconciled in Abraham. And so Abraham says, yeah, I, I believe that. And that it says it, it was credited to him as righteousness. This is a story in which even the parts that don't seem to fit do and are incorporated into a story of redemption. Abraham then being the father of many nations, right? Just as, as, as God has promised. And, you know, I, I grew up singing Father Abraham had many sons and many sons had Father Abraham, right? You did anybody do that in vacation Bible school and you did the leg, leg motions and whatever, Right? Because, like, this is not just one person's story. This is a story, this is their founding story. They're saying, like, this is not just his story. This is our story. Paul says, when God says it was credited to him, he believed in it, it was credited to him as righteousness. That wasn't just for him. That was also for all of us. Because all of us are doing this same thing, trying to incorporate the parts that don't fit into a story in which God blows our minds with something better than we could have put together, not only holding us together, but leading us to hope. And so when Paul writes, suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, what he means is, he means that's Abraham's story. Infertility leads to endurance and patience. Um, someone has said that part of our role in life is to be patient revolutionaries. To hang in there in the space between longing and fulfillment, not putting it together, but waiting for God to put it together. So that leads to character. We, we find you know, a, a strength of character that leads to hope. I don't know how that's working for you. Let me tell you how, how I've struggled with that. I mean, it's in trying to incorporate losses and, and, and trying to figure out how it holds together. You know, there was a time a couple of years ago in the pandemic where I, don't, I didn't think it would. And the hardest part for me, it's, it's very hard to describe, but having been here a long time, I so, so, sort of thought to some other, for some other pastors, you know, that I knew had been in their churches a shorter amount of time, and then they saw the, all, kind of the, all the things happening and, and how much was falling apart. And I thought maybe it might be easier for them because I, like, I've, I've been here for a long time and I've known these folks for a long time and I've seen all the wonderful things that God can do. And then it kind of just felt like it was all going to fall apart. And I know I've, I've heard so many of you describe, you know, the hardest part of that is just losing people out of our lives. And I think all of us have been doing this work in some way or another. Uh, I certainly have. Just walking, pe watching people 
need to go someplace else and the change of relationships and the loss of relationships. And then in the ultimate sense, for me, as I think about leading a church or being part of a church, like does what we do even matter? Does this story matter? Does what we do in our life together matter? Is it meaningful? And is there a reason to put one foot in front of the other to keep going? Does this lead to hope? There was that almost existential crisis that, that, that I've walked through. And I think that is the story of many. It happens when we lose people. Um, and I've watched folks try to become reconciled to, to the, those losses. I think of a woman whose adult daughter passed away in the last year. And I just watched that work of grief trying to figure out how, does, how do you go on? How do, how do you have hope? How is there meaning when you're experiencing something that doesn't seem to fit, that shouldn't be? And that's what people say, I, I hear so often when a parent loses a child, like this is not the way it's supposed to be. So how could this somehow fit? And how can I make sense of this? And how can I be reconciled to it? Maybe you know what that's like. And maybe it's hard to get to the hope. So let me just kind of tell you one thing that I think I found interesting this week as I was studying. Uh, someone wrote that actually uh, that a good portion of what Paul says in Romans 5, 3 uh, was already out there in the world. That, that suffering produces character and character, suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character. And that's in fact a good summary of the philosophical way of thinking uh, that we call stoicism. Now even today, to be stoic means what? To kind of present a, to hold your head up high, to present a stiff upper lip in the face of challenge, right? Suffering, in, in, in a human sense, does produce endurance, right? And if we endure, which really means don't give up, just because things aren't going like they're supposed to, then that builds character in us and we become stronger. And that's what the Stoics believed. In fact, what the Stoics believed was that reason was of a higher level, a higher plane than emotionalism. So you needed to be, you needed to be rational. And we still say things like this, right? Just remain rational, stay unemotional, and don't be, don't be tossed to and, to and fro by the events of your life. That's a good summary of Stoicism. I was a philosophy major, which you know what they say about that, right? The difference between a degree in philosophy and a pizza is that a pizza will feed a family of four. Have you heard that? So anyway, that's stoicism. I think that's a decent summary. Be rational. Don't get tossed about. So if Paul had stopped there, it would have been a very human understanding that people could have gotten their minds around. Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. But he doesn't stop there. He goes a step further. And he says, all of that then leads to hope. And what we mean by that is not a, like a hopefulness. It's like, no, it all holds together and it's going someplace and it go, it's going someplace good. And that's God's piece of the equation in this. That we can trust that. That this is a story that leads to hope and not just for Abraham and not just for Jesus, but for all of us through him. And so Paul says, that hope doesn't disappoint us or it doesn't leave us ashamed. Someone has uh, translated this way, our current position of living in hope is nothing to be ashamed of. Even though it might seem completely ridiculous to say I'm gonna be the father of many nations and I don't even have any kids yet. 
It may seem ridiculous to say that we're going to take a form of Roman execution and turn that as a sign of hope for the whole world. And it may seem ridiculous to say your life will be a shining example of God's goodness that, that he will demonstrate in only the way he can through you, incorporating the parts especially that don't seem to fit. And that's why we do the work of Lent, that, that we, we need to find that that sense that we can put one foot in front of the other and that it matters and that it's meaningful. And if we jump to Easter too quickly, we miss the opportunity to do that work. Uh, and, and I was talking to another, to actually to my mom this week, and she and another pastor went to meet with a, a third pastor, and in their church they had already decorated for Easter. And we sometimes joke, uh, by the way, like, you know, you've got the Easter egg thing, you've got the bunny, and like, where does that fit in the spiritual uh, things uh, uh, that, we're, that we're doing? And, uh, we, you know, we joke about that. It's sort of like every holiday, like, oh, we just jump right to the, the thing, right? We, 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 we're on to the next thing. Um, Martha hates the Easter egg thing, by the way. I don't, I don't she, she is twitching in her seat now, me, just me talking about it. Anyway, so the church had already decorated for Easter. And then they had this big theological discussion of why it's important. Uh, the three pastors kind of got into it a little bit. <laughs> of why it's important to do the Lent thing. Because we do proclaim Easter hope, and that is really important. But it's also important for us to, to talk about crosses and to talk about losses. To talk about the parts that don't, don't seem to come together when they should and to find deep in ourselves that thing that Jesus has offered, which is reconciliation. All of it somehow being put back together and put back together better. And that's what we celebrate when we come to Holy Communion. All of those, those things that, that put us into the story of while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the grace in which we now stand. And so we're going to confess our part in that together. And that's what confession is. It's agreeing with God about the situation. And uh, so we're going to put these uh, words on the screen and um, join in them together. We found a confession that kind of speaks to this uh, in a little different language today as we, um, as we incorporate our losses. And um, you guys have that? All right. Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him who earnestly repent of their sin, and who seek to live in peace with one another. Therefore, let us confess our sin before God and one another. Let's join together. Gracious God, our sins are too heavy to carry, too real to hide, too hidden even to realize, and too deep to undo. Forgive what we hesitate to name, what our hearts can no longer bear, Set us free from a past we cannot change. Open us to a future in which we can be changed. And grant us grace to grow in your likeness. Through Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Amen. Let's, let's take a moment of silent prayer. As we think about the parts of our story that don't seem to fit, and the thing that we might even be too afraid to name, asking God to incorporate all of this through his story of forgiveness and redemption, making us whole.
And so would you hear the good news this morning? Our communion liturgy, liturgy draws on Romans 5. Hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. And that is all the proof that we need of God's love for us. And so in the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. And you'll say that back to me. And then we'll say together, glory to God. Amen. Let's prepare for Holy Communion uh, together through the great thanksgiving. I think there might be a slide before that or not. So let's say it together. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and a good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Holy are you and blessed is your son, Jesus Christ. By the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church. You delivered us from slavery to sin and death and made with us a new covenant by water and the spirit. On the night in which he gave himself up for us, Jesus took bread, he blessed it and broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take eat, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He who was whole became broken so that we who are broken could be made whole. When the supper was over, he took the cup, again giving thanks, gave it to his disciples and said, Drink from this, all of you. This is the cup of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. He who was full became empty so that we who are empty could be made full. And so in remembrance of these your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering to us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. And in this, we find our past assurance, our present peace, and our future hope. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. As those who are coming to serve come forward, let's pray together. God, would you pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here so that what we have Proclaimed today might be our lived reality through your presence with us. This is not something we only know in our heads, but something that we find in the depths of our souls by your Spirit. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and cup. Make them be for us an experience of the body and blood of Christ, the living Christ among us, so that we might be an experience for the world of the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. By your spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast together at his heavenly banquet. Through your son, Jesus Christ, with your Holy Spirit and your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, almighty Father, now and forever. Amen.